I hope you all don't mind if I get a little comfortable up here. I already took my jacket off. I'm about to take my watch off. <laughs> Might take my shoes off in a minute, but... Uh, we will be in Galatians uh, chapter 2 today. Uh, and I would like to start off this morning by saying uh, thank you for all who were praying for us as we went to church camp. Uh, we went to youth camp. We took 13 students and two sponsors. And uh, God, God sh showed up like, he, like we knew he would. Um, and uh, I think some of our, our students were really uh, changed this week. I know I was. Um, and I'm excited to uh, share that with y'all. I think in a couple weeks we'll, we'll get to share some of those stories and testimonies as well. Um, and if you've never been to youth camp, um, I'd like to encourage you to sign up to go if you're a youth. Um, also, if you're, if you're not a youth, if you're an adult and would like to go as a sponsor, we always need, are in need of sponsors. And I, I promise you that your, your life will be changed from it. it. It's an amazing experience, and I, I really encourage you guys to sign up. So next year we'll have about 10 sponsors for guys and girls, right? Maybe? I don't know. Okay. But uh, church camp is a vital time in the lives of our students. Um, of these young, young men and women, just as uh, kids camp is in the lives of our children, the experiences they have there uh, are unforgettable. They are able to uh, disconnect from their normal everyday life and the distractions and uh, the sin that so easily entangles us and, uh, and, and plug in with other believers and worship God uh, in, in spirit and in truth. And so church camp is foundational in the lives of our students. I'm sure maybe you remember church camp. Many of y'all have gone to church camp in the past or maybe just visited kids camp. And maybe you remember uh, what you remember is all it was just the food, how terrible it was. Maybe it was just how hot it was that, that week you were there or how much you missed your bed. Or maybe, maybe you reminded of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Maybe you fully committed your life to him for the first time. Many of our students have had that experience at church camp. Maybe just thinking about church camp has reminded you of your identity in Christ. I went to many church camps growing up. Uh, one in particular was called Camp 220. I went to this camp as a sponsor. Uh, I also went as a student. And the 220 is uh, basically the theme of this chapter in Galatians. Chapter, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and it's, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live by faith, in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It was at this camp, 220, that... I recognized my identity in Christ. I was in college as a, as a, when I went into college, I lost my identity. I lost who I was in Christ. But going back to this camp as a sponsor really opened up my eyes to what God was calling me to do. And as a result of that and many other uh, people pouring into my life, I surrendered my life into ministry. Did you all bring your wallets today? I'm just joking. That was Mark talking about that last week. Uh, no, but most of us keep our identification in our wallets, right? Um, sorry to throw that curveball at you. So we all have a maybe a driver's license or some form of identification, social security number, 
Uh, maybe you've memorized it, uh, whatever it is. But from the day we're born, we're, we're born with an identification. We all have an ID that we're associated with. And we're all identified by all sorts of things. Maybe it's our, our fingerprint or the accent that we have, facial features, and many other individual characteristics that we have. But one particular identification that we all have from the day we're born is that we are sinners. That's something that is present in all of us, that is deeply rooted in each one of us. And I want you to understand something. We are all sinners who stand condemned before a holy God. And we deserve nothing but eternal punishment and wrath for being sinners. What we deserve is what God's word calls hell. And we don't have what it takes to overcome it. We have to receive something from above. We have to receive the mercy of Christ. The mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Who was crucified as a sacrifice for our very sins. When we didn't deserve it. And it's only when we accept his love and his forgiveness. That we can be made right with God. And that is our true identity in Christ. I love to go fishing. It's something I really enjoy doing, and uh, some have identified me as a fisherman. I don't know where that came from. Some call me fish. I don't know. I got lucky, I guess. But on our recent vacation to Oregon this summer, uh, we went deep sea fishing, one of my favorite things to do. We do it every year. But this year, we went 10 miles offshore. So the trip out to where our fishing spot was a, an hour away. And so we went with, I went with family members, but there were other people on the boat who were also going fishing as well. And there was one guy in particular who stood out to me. Um, as soon as we got on the boat, he was, he was loud, he was obnoxious, and he, he has had a mouth of a sailor. Like, he was already out there, like, he knew how to use uh, bad language, I guess, his potty mouth. Um, but he was just the loudest guy out there, and talking uh, obnoxiously, and he got into a conversation with my dad, who is also, who is also a pastor. And uh, it was just funny how the conversation changed. He was sitting there talking to my dad, cursing up a storm, saying all these things about his business and how, he, you know, arguing and uh, complaining about all sorts of stuff. But then he asked my dad, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> my dad said, well, I'm a pastor. And you know what, how how quickly his conversation changed. He started talking about the church that he was plugged into, about, about the d discipleship programs that were going on, and, and all this sorts of stuff. And it, it was just a funny, funny thing to me how quickly his identity changed. But isn't that how we are sometimes? We let the outside world affect us and influence us, we don't allow Christ to live in us all of the time. We want, we want it. We want our life. It's, not, it's my life. So we go to church sometimes. We read our Bible sometimes. We talk to God sometimes when it suits us. But we choose when we are Christian. We get to decide that. And most of the time we live however we want to live. 
Let me just say that whenever we choose to go our way instead of God's way, it is sin. Our way instead of God's way is sin. And we live this way because we have a foundational problem of, of our understanding of salvation. Sometimes I don't think we fully understand what it means to accept Christ into our lives or be identified with what happened at Calvary. As Christians, we often talk about the price Jesus paid for us, how he forgave us our sins, and his amazing love for us. We understand that Jesus' blood washes away sin, and he has forgiveness, and he offers us freedom from guilt. But have you considered that you were crucified with him? That your old self, full of evil and shame, enslaved to an insurmountable debt, that could never be paid, destined to hell, and eternal misery hung there with him? That means the life that we now live is no longer ours. It's his. Once we're crucified, that old self, we are his. He is the one who lives in us. We don't get to choose when we want to live our own way. But simply because Jesus gave himself for us so freely does not mean that it's a cheap type of grace. Instead, his grace is costly because it cost him his life. It cost God sending his own son to die for us. But you know what else? It costs our life too. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That means when we sing, lead me to the cross, we're saying, God, I want to be crucified with you. You see, to participate in the life of Christ, we must be first identified with him in his death. To participate in the life of Christ, you must first participate in, the, in his death. If we are to identify ourselves as Christians, we must understand the significance of what happened on the cross. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Galatians 2.20. Notice how much Paul talks about himself in it. It is, as far as I can tell, the most self-focused verse in all of Scripture. Paul makes seven specific references to himself in it. It's filled with I's and me's. I think Paul emphasizes how personal the Christian faith is. Of all things in this earth, the Christian faith is personal. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. But only you can make the decision to follow him. It's a personal decision. It's a choice you have to make. Now, before we go any further in this text, I'd like to look into the world of the text uh, and, and look at Galatians, what this book is all about. Out of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, Galatians is the only one that doesn't say something nice to the people he's writing to. Did you know that? It's the only one that Paul doesn't have something that he commends the people he's writing to for. Instead, Paul is deeply disturbed and even angry, a righteous anger, in this letter to the Galatians because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being attacked. Has there ever been something you're so passionate about that just felt attacked? I'm going to pick on Ryder. He's not here today. 
But while at church camp, we were sitting in our small group, and uh, we were just started talking about, of course, guys talk about sports and stuff, and uh, someone said basketball is the best sport. And Ryder, let me tell you what, he came out of his skin and he said, no, baseball is the best sport. And, and I could see he it was being attacked because there were several other guys in there that were saying, baseball is, that's, no, baseball's boring. Baseball's not a great sport. Basketball, football is. And Ryder stood up. He stood up for what he believed in. He was passionate about baseball. And so he, he listed off several things why baseball was such a good sport. I don't think he changed their minds, but he was passionate about it. This letter that Paul is uh, writing to the Galatians is known as the explosive epistle. Explosive epistle because Paul is angry. He's passionate about the gospel of Christ, and other people are telling the people in Galatia that they have to do other things, that they have to abide by the law, the Jewish law, that it's not salvation by grace by, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. They have to abide by the laws. So Paul is upset. Again, Galatians is unique because it was not written to a particular city or a particular church. A collection of towns and churches is what Galatians was. It was a region, Galatia. Most of Paul's letters found in the New Testament are written to uh, specific churches and, and towns like F the church in Ephesus and Ephesians or, or Philippi, Philippians. But Galatia was a region located in Western Asia and Southeastern Europe in what is now called Turkey. In his first missionary journey along with Barnabas, Paul founded these churches in Galatia, and you can read about them in the book of Acts, specifically chapters 13 and 14. Talking about towns such as Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. And in his first visit to them, Paul is actually stoned in one of these towns and left for dead by the Jews. So it's not hard to see that persecution was, was very hard here. It was difficult. But when Paul finds out that they are perverting the gospel, giving a false teaching of the gospel, and claiming to be Christians within the church, he sits down and writes the book of Galatians in a fury. We see in chapter 6 that he claims to have written with his own hand. He says, I'm writing this with my own hand. Listen to me. He's upset. He's desperately trying to defend the gospel. At the beginning of this letter, Paul quickly addresses the issue. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to dis distort the gospel of Christ. Paul is referring here to the Judaizers. Judaizers were those who were claiming to be Christians or trying to Judaize, bring people to the Jewish religious uh, rituals and, and such uh, in the church. And so Paul is referring to these Judaizers, so people who claim to be in Christ, but they also believe that you would have to uh, be circumcised and abide by every one of the laws in order to be saved. They wanted to bind people to the law that they had already been set free from. A law that they weren't even keeping themselves. A law that we could never abide by fully, because we're human, and we are born in sin. 
Paul said in this letter that to believe we can be made more inwardly righteous before God on the basis of external performance is to believe a false gospel, a different gospel. He wouldn't even give it the dignity of being thought of as simply another approach to the true gospel. But he spoke of it as something utterly distinct from the gospel of Christ. He referred to it as a bewitching error. A foolish error. An error that puts God's people in bondage and severs the relationship that they have in Christ. Do you think we have people today who try to teach a different gospel? Sure we do. You can read about it. You can see it on the, t- on, on the news. Everywhere. In, and it's gotten so bad that it's in the church. We have to be careful to remember that our identity is in Christ. So here Paul is shocked that the Galatians are actually listening to the Judaizers, forgetting the freedom that they have already found in Christ. Basically, he says, I don't care who they are. I don't care what label they have, what authority they come to you. It doesn't matter even if I came or another apostle or even if an angel came to you and said another gospel from the one we've already taught you, we've already taught you and you've believed in. They are to be cursed. You have already been set free through the law, from the law through Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love, from his forgiveness, and true freedom. The book of Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of spiritual freedom, or the Declaration of Independence, and identified as the battle cry of the Reformation. It deals with many important issues, such as the law, works, uh, grace, Jesus Christ, salvation. And the primary message in Galatians is freedom. At the beginning of chapter 5, Paul writes, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. The true freedom that Paul talks about is that we are no longer condemned before a holy God. We are set free from the chains of sin, from the bondage of sin. Not only are we not condemned before God, but we have life, new life in Christ. We don't have to try and measure up or make it on our own. Christ lives in us. He's the one who has the key to freedom. It's in him that we are truly free. Throughout the letter, Paul describes what we would call the doctrine of justification. I know it may sound like a big word, but simply put, it's the good news. It's the good news that sinful men and sinful women can be brought into the acceptance of God, not because of their works, but simply through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified justification. Because of our sin, we are bound to the law. We are chained to sin and absolutely separated from the holy God. He is so perfectly and completely holy that any ounce or speck of our sin separates us from God, utterly separates us from God, and condemns us to eternal death. But God in his rich love and mercy, has justified the penalty of our sin through Jesus' death on the cross if we choose to accept him. Look at what Paul says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. He says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. 
Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. As Christians, we believe that salvation is found by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing that we have done, nothing that we could ever do or are doing that could ever possibly earn favor with God. That has only been accomplished through Jesus Christ. And as he lives in us, our relationship with God grows. Let's look at this phrase in two, chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. In the Greek, which Paul wrote, he used the perfect verb tense. It literally is called the perfect tense, but I think it, is perfectly, I think it perfectly describes what happened uh, on Calvary. It describes a past completed action having present finished results. We don't have a verb tense like this in English. We just have past, present, future tense. But the perfect tense refers to a completed action in the past that still affects uh, us today, that we're still experiencing the effects of it today. The use of the perfect tense signifies that the believer has been crucified with Christ at a specific time in the past and that the effects of this crucifixion are currently being experienced today. Positionally, our crucifixion with Christ occurred the moment we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. But the effects of our acceptance of his finished work for us on the cross will continue on for eternity. Just as if Christ had died yesterday, Christ had died today, and Christ had died tomorrow. Every morning when you wake up, Jesus still gave his life for you. Although every day is different from the next, Jesus is still alive today. And what happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago continues to impact lives today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. If you are a Christian, you can claim that victory over sin and death. Each day, you can rejoice that the old self has been crucified, that Jesus has brought life. Do you wake up rejoicing? We ought to be. I have been crucified with Christ. In Greek, this phrase is only two words. Christo sunastaromai. I don't know how I said that, but hope it came out right. Literally meaning crucified with Christ. Sustaro means to crucify or nail to a cross with another. Only the worst criminals suffered crucifixion in Paul's day. The verb was used of the two thieves that were crucified with Christ. And then the preposition soon speaks of a believer's union or identification with Christ. Soon equals with. So Paul claims to have been crucified with Christ on the cross. John Gregory Mantle wrote, There is a great difference between realizing on that day cross, on that cross he was crucified for me, and on that cross I am crucified with him. 
The one aspect brings us deliverance from sin's condemnation. The other brings us uh, deliverance from sin's power. Every Christian rejoices in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. But if we're not willing to accept our crucifixion with Christ, how could we ever accept our resurrection with him? Did you hear me? If we couldn't accept the crucifixion with Christ, how could we expect to experience the resurrection with him? Do you want to know him? Do you desire to become more like him? That you must be willing to be identified with him in his death. But guess what? That means you get to start over. Each day is a new day. You don't have to carry the weight of your sin. You don't have to face the eternal punishment that you rightly deserve. And sin has no power over you. Instead, that sin-filled life is dead. As it has been crucified and put to death with Christ. I don't know about you, but if I were to be crucified with anyone, I'd want it to be with Christ, the giver of life, the one who can come back from the dead. Don't you? The only one who has uh, with the power over sin and death, who can bring about new life in the midst of death, who can bring about true freedom in the midst of slavery, truth in the place of lies and light in a world of darkness, and love in the midst of hate. This also means that as a result of Christ living in you, you are now a new creation and made holy and blameless because of Christ who lives in you. You no longer seek out the pleasures of the flesh, but look for ways to bring glory to God through your new life in Him. James Calvert, he was a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands. And as he was setting out, the shipmaster said, you will lose your life and the life of those who will go with you to those savages. And Calvert only replied, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. How real is that? If you accepted the precious gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, then the passions of this world have been crucified with Christ, along with your old sin-filled life. And the life which you now live belongs to Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Take a minute to try this, okay? Everybody's got your Bible open, Galatians 2.20. That starts with, I have been crucified with Christ. Put your name in place of all of the pronouns that say, I or me. Is this true in your life? Nathan has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Nathan who lives, but Christ who lives in Nathan. And the life which Nathan now lives in the flesh, Nathan lives by faith in the Son of God who loved Nathan and gave himself up for Nathan. Do you see how personal this is? And the reason that we have new life in Christ is why? Because he loved us. He loved us. In all of the sin, shame, guilt, condemnation, punishment that we deserve, he loves us. And he still loves us. Even when we struggle and fail, and when we stumble and fall, he loves us. Even when we forget 
We are in Him. Even, even when we forget that He lives inside of us, and we try to place our identity in every single thing in the world, He loves us. And He is alive in us. So what does it mean to you to be crucified with Christ? It means that we no longer live under the penalty of the law. We no longer stand condemned before God. The penalty was paid for by Christ on our behalf. When Christ was crucified, it was as if we were crucified with him. The penalty was fully paid just as if we had been crucified for our own sins, which that's what we deserved. But Christ was crucified with us. When Christ rose from the dead, we also rose from the dead. Now the risen Christ empowers us to live for him in a way that pleases God. We used to seek life for our, through our own works, but now we live by faith in the Son of God, as Paul said. Being crucified with Christ means that we are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. Behold, the new is here. The old life is gone. Being crucified with Christ means that we have a new love. We are new creations and we have a new love. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the things of this world, we no longer care for because we have Christ inside of us. Our passions have been split. Now we have Christ. Now we love Christ and love his ways. Being crucified with Christ means that we have a new commitment. We are dedicated to the service and the glory of God. And that dedication destroys selfishness and is greater than the ties we have to this world. We have taken up our cross to follow him. Being crucified with Christ means that we have a new way of life. At one time, we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But that way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. Now we follow Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We seek to please him in every way. The things of this world no longer matter. It's all about Jesus. The idea of being crucified with Christ emphasizes our union with him and his death on our behalf. We trust in Christ's crucifixion as a payment for our sin, and we rely on his power to live in a way that pleases God. The emphasis is on what he has done for us and not what we have to do for God. The emphasis is on what he has done for us, not what we have to do for God. Too often, I have been crucified with Christ and it is Christ who lives in me becomes I need to crucify my sinful desires and try harder to live for God. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. When this becomes our perspective, we have slipped out of grace living and back into law living. And we minimize the power of Christ's death for us on the cross. We are relying less upon the power of Christ and more upon our own power. And that will never turn out well. So Galatians 2.20 tells us how we have escaped the penalty of sin to live a life that pleases God. Knowing that we are crucified with Christ should give us great encouragement in our Christian walk. 
We have the power to say no to sin and yes to God. So can you say that you have been crucified with Christ? Is that true in your life today? Maybe you have been crucified with Christ. Maybe you have accepted Christ into your heart. But you've forgotten. You've forgotten and got wrapped up in all the things of this world that you're chasing after instead of Jesus Christ. Pursuing the life that lives in you. Maybe you are seeking your identity. I don't know who I am. I don't know what, what, what I've done. Place your identity in Christ. If you, are, if you have been crucified with Christ, Christ lives in you. That's where your identity should be found. Let's pray together. Oh God, we stand in awe of you. You are holy. We are not. God, we stand condemned before you. But thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus, so that we can be crucified with him. God, it's your life living in us it is where we're truly free. It is Jesus Christ living inside of us. God, that we can make a difference in this world. Please, God, help us to focus on you. To do away with the passions of this world, the selfishness and the evil, the lust of the flesh. And set our eyes on you. Because, God, that is the only true way to live. Forgive us when we sin against you, God. Forgive us when we do our own thing. Thank you for setting us apart. Thank you for your love. Thank you for paying the penalty of our sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're here today and you would like to make a decision to follow Christ for the first time as your Savior, I would love to celebrate with you and, and have you come to the front and even pray with you and help you through that.